0: And let's turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 16. Mark, chapter number 16. And I want to, I don't usually give a title to my messages. But if I were to give a title to this one, I would title it Don't Learn the Hard Way, Learn from Someone Else Who Learned the Hard Way. (laughs) All right. How many of you understand the wisdom of that? All right. How many of you can relate to that firsthand? There you go. All right. Don't learn the hard way. Learn from someone else who learned the hard way. Mark chapter number 16. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. Then we're going to be turning over to John chapter 21 also. Luke chapter 16. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene. And Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulchre they saw a young man sitting on the right side clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold, the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter, that he goeth before you into Galilee, there shall ye see him, and he said as he said. Uh, unto you Uh, the the setting of this obviously if you haven't guessed it by now is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus after he'd been crucified had been put in the tomb for three days and three nights the women come to bring some spices to anoint him and the stone is already rolled away from the door he's not there anymore he is not here for he is risen and I'm glad I serve a risen savior don't you I, I hope you rejoice in that today He tells these ladies, this angel that's sitting there, this messenger that's sent by God to greet them and to give them instruction. He tells them in verse number 7 to go their way and tell his disciples. And then he adds this, and Peter, and I love that. If you'll remember, Peter is the disciple, one of the three that were closest to the Lord Jesus Christ. We would call him one of the inner three, perhaps. Peter is the one that had the responsibility after Christ had ascended back to heaven to pastor the church in Jerusalem. And Peter is uh, the one that we look at oftentimes as we see him develop over the three or so, three plus years of Christ's earthly ministry and how Christ has discipled these men. He's taught them things. I can relate very much to Peter. Because he was a very imperfect man, wasn't he? He's always the one that we say he would put his foot in his mouth, so to speak. He would engage his mouth before he engaged his brain a lot of times. Peter was a pretty, uh, I would say this, he he was real for one thing. He certainly was real. He he, he was one of these fellows that just said what he thought. And sometimes because of that, he was... Impetuous, he would speak things that were not of a spiritual nature, but more from his carnal nature. Things that made better sense to him from a carnal view of things. And Christ would correct him. God would give him insight and wisdom. There were times that, as brazen as he seemed to be in the garden when he took the sword out and chopped the ear off of the soldier that was there, yet just a few hours later he stood in a courtyard and When was accused of being one of the followers of Christ by a lady, a woman that was there in the courtyard denied our Savior. And while he thought of himself as a man of great faith and considered himself a man of great courage, and had even told the Lord in the upper room at the Last Supper that he would not deny Him even to the point of death, yet he denied Him, didn't he? And so he was a man that while he thought of great bravery in his heart and and I truly believe longed for it. I don't think he was insincere. But during the time of testing, he showed cowardice, didn't he? There were times that he showed laziness, and even though Christ had been crucified, and there was a work that his disciples should have been doing, earlier in the ministry, Christ had told them to go two by two, and to go into these cities, and to teach, and to preach, and They had been trained for three and a half years under his ministry and were told to uh, be fishers of men. And yet, when Christ died, as far as Peter knew, that was the end. And rather than doing that which he was trained to do, rather than doing that which he was taught to do, he decided he was going to just go back to fishing again. He was lazy, he's a man of pride. Peter often thought of himself first in a lot of ways. But toward the end of Peter's ministry, we see a completely different man. We see a man who had learned the hard way some very valuable truths of the Christian life. Hold your place here for a moment turn with me to the book of John, chapter 21. John chapter 21. <clears throat> in verse number 1, we're going to read several verses, so follow carefully with us. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Now, understand this that Jesus has already risen from the dead. He's already appeared to them once in the upper room and then quickly disappeared from their presence. This is the second time now that He is showing Himself. And after these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And the Sea of Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. And on this wise, showed He Himself, there were together Simon Peter and Thomas. By the way, isn't that interesting, verse number 2? You remember what happened when Jesus appeared to the disciples the first time in the upper room? And Thomas wasn't there. And Peter the rest of the disciples, when they told Thomas that Jesus had risen from the dead and that they had seen him, Thomas doubted that, didn't he? In fact, to this day, we use him as an analogy of someone that is a doubter, and we call him a doubting Thomas because of Thomas. And I say all that to say this. There's a valuable lesson to be found here. Thomas missed the upper rim experience. Go ahead and check your Bible. Every other time that the Lord Jesus appeared to the disciples, guess who was there? (laughs) Thomas. While he might have missed him the first time, he was certain he was not going to miss him anymore. I've heard some people say, well, is it really important that, uh, that I come to every church service? I think so. I think so. What happens if all of a sudden God brings great revival in the service and you weren't there for it? Now, we can't plan revival. We can't make revival happen. There's not a formula in Scripture that we can follow. Somebody said it this way. When it comes to revival, all we can do is set our sails to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit should He choose to blow upon it. We ought to be in such a place that we are ready for a revival at any time. And if God chooses to bring it, I don't want to miss it. I want to be there. I want to be in the midst of it. I want to be right in the very middle of it. That's not even the message. That was for free, all right. So Thomas is here, verse number two. I think that's interesting. Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee—that would be James and John, the two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, "I go a fishing." And by the way, that's good Southern talk too. <laughs> you ever notice that? I go a fishing. They say unto him, "We also go with thee." Then went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the other on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it from the multitude of the fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter. By the way, John is the one who always referred to himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved and would not refer to himself by his own name. So it's John here that's speaking unto Peter. He says, it is the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question here in verse number 7. In just two verses before, three verses before, it says, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. When Jesus told them to cast their net on the other side of the boat, and they did so, and they brought in a great draw of fishes. John told Peter, it's Jesus. You say, Pastor, how did John know? Because he remembered. There was a time before when Jesus did something like this. They had fished all night, caught nothing. Jesus told them to cast their net on the other side. They brought in a great draw of fishes so great that even the boats around them couldn't come and help them draw them all in. The nets began to break. John remembered the miracle of the Lord Jesus. By the way, it helps us to remember God's faithfulness to us too when we see His hand at work, doesn't it? Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, But as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon in bread. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken." Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh, and taketh bread, and giveth them, uh, and fish likewise. And this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? I want you to notice what your King James Bible says after this. It says Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Father, as we come to you, I pray that you'll bless the message. Lord, help us as we come to some passages that will help us to be what we should. Lord, may we learn. May we learn from Peter who had learned the hard way. Some of the great graces of the Christian faith. Lord, may we be able to, as Peter did, say, Yea, Lord, we love You. We love You. We love You more than these. Lord, You are the one that ought to be on the throne of our heart. You are the one that ought to be the one in absolute preeminence in our life. And yet, Lord, so often we allow things that we love even more to take Your place. May we learn to say, Lord, we love You, and mean it from our hearts. Bless the message and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll remember the Last Supper, the Lord Jesus sitting in the upper room with His disciples. He said that one of them was going to betray Him. And remember, many of them began to ask, "Is it I? Is it I?" And Judas said, "Is it I?" And Jesus said, "Thou sayest." And Judas certainly is the one that betrayed him. And John or Peter speaks up, and he's kind of adamant about this. He said, "Lord, I won't deny you. I won't deny you." If you'll remember the story, he he's told by the Lord Jesus that that night he would betray or that he would deny him three times before the cock crowed. And Peter said, Lord, I won't deny You even unto death. I believe when Peter said those words, I, I sincerely believe he meant them. The truth is, there are things that I have made commitments to the Lord on in my life that I'll be real frank with you, I know from my heart of hearts, I meant them with all of my heart. There are probably things you could look at in your life. Things and commitments that you've made to the Lord that you meant at the time with all of your heart. And yet, somewhere along the line, we failed to live up to them. And if, it's, if we're not careful, we will look at things like this and become very deflated. When Jesus rose from the dead and the ladies were speaking to this one in the garden... And they in the in the tomb, and the, he told the, the Mary and uh, the other Mary and Salome to uh, go into uh, the disciples and to tell them that he was risen. But he specifically names Peter. It's interesting to me that the Lord knew what was going to be needed in Peter's heart. Because I don't know about you, but if you could put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment this morning. Let's go back in time to the time of the crucifixion. Put yourself in that outer court as they're trying the Lord Jesus. And as those that were falsely accusing Him and putting Him to death and crying out, crucify Him. These are the type of people that are standing around without the court. And they begin to look around and they see you and they say, weren't you one of His disciples? And you say, no, not me. And then a little later as you're talking, one of them said, surely you're one of his disciples. Your speech beraiteth you. And in order to get them not to think that you're a disciple, the Bible said that Peter cursed, denied him again. And then the third time, aren't you one of his disciples? Not I. The Bible says and immediately. The cock crowed. Can you imagine how Peter's heart must have felt? The one who had said, Lord, I won't deny you even unto death. Can you imagine the weight that came on his heart? The failure. The sorrow. By the way, any time... We don't live up to what we've committed to the Lord. We ought to feel that way. There ought to be a brokenness. There ought to be a contrite spirit within us. When Jesus rose from the dead, He wanted to make certain that Peter hadn't just given up totally on it. Because the truth of the matter is, sometimes we get to the place where we're like, Lord, I just seem to not ever do anything right. Why even try? Peter goes back to fishing. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's not being a fisher of men. He's not going around telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. He'd been trained for three and a half years to do these things. And he goes fishing. Not only does he go fishing, he takes some of the other guys with him. Jesus calls them to the shore after they'd eaten. He and Peter take a stroll a little ways away after they had dined, he asked Peter, he said, Lovest thou me more than these? Peter said, Yea, Lord. And our Bible tells us that when Christ asked him the third time, that it grieved him because He asked him the third time. When I read that passage, I don't believe that the grief was because he felt like the Lord did not believe him. Peter at this point was had enough understanding of who Christ was to know that Christ knew his heart. The grief here was the fact that Christ had just given him three opportunities to say, yea, Lord, I love Thee. As if to show Peter, Peter, it's okay. Go and do what I've called you to do. Go feed my sheep. Go feed my lambs. Just because you have failed me in some ways does not mean that my ministry for you is over. And Peter goes on to pastor the church. On the day of Pentecost, he stands up and 4,000 people are saved. and There are 3,000 people are saved. And then later on, 4,000 people are saved. They're added to the church and the church is growing by leaps and bounds when it comes time for Peter to die, that he dies a martyr's death, and, and and they want to crucify him. And he says, I don't want to be crucified on the cross because I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to suffer the same death as my Savior. And he asks that they turn the cross upside down and crucify him upside down. This doesn't sound like the Peter that I have heard about. The arrogant, prideful Peter, who was only ever thinking about himself most of the time. Peter had learned some wonderful things. I want us to look at several of those today in our Christian life, some things that we can learn, graces that Peter had learned. If you will, take your Bibles and turn over to the book of First Peter chapter number 5. First Peter chapter number 5. One of the biggest problems that Peter struggled with was this thing of pride, his, his ego, his arrogance seemed to get the best of him all of his ministry up until the time of Christ's death. As we get to First Peter chapter number five, and you'll begin reading with me if you will, in verse number five, he says, "Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility." For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. By the time Peter got to the end of his ministry, by the time Peter had grown and matured in the Christian faith, to where God wanted him to be, Peter went from a man of arrogance, a man who seemed awfully prideful, to a man of absolute humility. Peter had learned the hard way. He had learned the hard way that the best way to be exalted is to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And if God should choose to exalt you, He'll do it. It's not your pride. It's not your ego. The most important thing being that we subject ourselves one to another. He says, for God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Can I tell you this? I don't want God to resist me. I don't want, as I live my life, for God to have a resistance against what I'm doing. But far, on the other hand, I'd rather have God's grace being poured out on me every single day. And Peter learned something the hard way. That if we're not careful, you and I will have to learn the hard way, but I'd far rather learn it from Peter. And that is to have a spirit of humility. In Philippians chapter number 2, the Apostle Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can I tell you this? If we're to let this mind of Christ be in us, what mind is it? It's a mind of humility. A mind of humility. I don't know about you, but I don't want to learn to have humility the hard way. Oh, the things that God must do to break a prideful heart. They wound the spirit. They wound the body. Oftentimes, we bear the marks throughout our life. May we learn to humble ourselves. A number of years ago, when I first came To Keitha Heights Baptist Church, and Brother Randy Casey was our pastor at the time. He made a statement one day in preaching that I had never thought of before. He said, you know, I don't like to use the phrase, surrender your will to the Lord. And I thought, boy, that's a peculiar phrase. Why would you say that? I mean, I've taught this all my life. To people that we ought to surrender all. He said, The idea of surrender is the idea that you are battling and struggling, and finally, when you realize you cannot win, then you finally go ahead and surrender. He said, Wouldn't it be far better than surrender if we would say we ought to yield our will to the Lord? No battle, no fighting, no stress, no struggle. Just simply saying, Lord, here I am. Send me. I don't want to battle you. I don't want to struggle. I don't want to have to have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to have to have your chastening rod upon me as I seek to do my will. I don't want to be like the Apostle Paul when you struck him down on the road to Damascus and said, It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Lord, I want to go ahead and yield now. Oh, that we would learn to be humble in the Christian life. To not have a will of our own, that we battle every day against God's will. Peter learned to guard against pride. He says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Peter was a man of laziness. He had not done the work that God called him to do when Christ died on the cross. He went fishing. He didn't go do the work that God gave him to do. But look with me in verse number 8. He charges Christians, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And can I tell you this? He learned to fight against this spiritual laziness of his life. He learned that the Christian life ought to be a life of diligence. It ought to be a life of service. It ought to be the life of vigilance. Hold your place here. We're going to come back to 1 Peter once again. But look over to the second letter that he writes in 2 Peter Chapter number one, just probably across the page for some of you, or one page over. Second Peter, chapter number one, look in verse number five as he says this and besides this, give all what's the next word here? Diligence. Give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and the virtue, knowledge, and the knowledge, temperance, and the temperance, patience, and the patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you, and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and have forgotten that he was purged from his old sin. Look with me in verse number ten. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give what's the next word here? Diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Look over to chapter 3 for a moment. Verse number 14. Second Peter chapter 3, verse number 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be, here it is again, diligent, that you may found, be found of Him in peace without spot and blameless. Peter learned the hard way, didn't he? he learned the hard way. There's a lot of people who've preached messages on Christ appearing to His disciples there at the Sea of Galilee. Men have speculated as to why Peter threw himself into the water and swam to shore rather than riding in the boat. Some people say it was because he was so excited to see the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not so sure of that. I believe there was some shame in Peter's heart. It seems to me that there was, there was a difference, a brokenness in his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that needed to be restored once again. It could have been because here's the Savior who had invested so much into Peter's life Training him to be a fisher of men. And there he is on the shore seeing him out there on the sea of Galilee fishing for fish. And while the Lord didn't say it, I wonder that that afternoon or that time while Peter is in the boat and he sees Christ, he doesn't know who he is, but he casts the net and when he sees the fish, he knows that's Jesus. I wonder if he thought, oh boy, Look at what I'm doing. It is not what he told me I was supposed to be doing. I wonder if he thought that. The guilt, the shame, even if that wasn't his thought, I wonder what our thought is going to be when the trumpet sounds we see Christ? Are we going to stand there and be like, oh boy, I'm not doing what He told me to do. Peter learned the hard way. May we learn to be diligent. May we learn to be vigilant. May we learn to be steadfast and unmovable. And always abounding in the work of the Lord. May we learn from someone who learned the hard way. So that we don't have to. Not only did he learn to be humble. Not only did he learn to be diligent. But he learned to be bold in the faith. Look in 1 Peter chapter 4 if you will now. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look in verse number 16, and keep in mind, this is the one who denied the Lord Jesus at His crucifixion. Verse number 16 of chapter 4, he says, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. I imagine that it was difficult sometimes for Peter to, to teach and to preach such things. Because there were people who knew Peter. There were those that knew that Peter had denied the Savior at his trial. In verse number 17, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Peter learned to be bold, to not be ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter knew what it was to finally stand for what is right regardless of the cost. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because he went to a martyr's death. And this time, this time, he did not deny his Savior. But he looked at it as a badge of honor and a crown of glory to die on the behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter had learned the hard way. To be bold, to have courage, to fear not, to do the work God had given him to do. Number four, he had learned not to allow carnal thinking to rule over him. Look in chapter two of First Peter, verse number eleven. Chapter two, verse number eleven. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil of against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. It tells them to abstain from the worldly lusts. The carnality, the the appeal of this world. The things that would draw at our attention and vie for our affections. Those things that would ensnare us and entangle us again. Peter said abstain from them. Abstain from them. Don't be caught up with them. He says, have your conversation honest among the Gentiles. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's learn from someone who learned the hard way. Not to have carnal thinking. Not to have worldliness in our lives. And then I would say this, he learned... To give a defense of his faith. Look with me in chapter three, First Peter chapter three, verse number thirteen. First Peter chapter three, verse number thirteen. Tell me if this sounds like the same Peter that stood outside as Jesus was being tried. As he says here in verse 13, And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope. That is in you with meekness and fear. Peter, the one who denied his Lord, Jesus sat by the Sea of Galilee and said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? And Peter said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter the one who denied Christ saying if you suffer for righteousness sake happy are ye and be not afraid of their terror neither be troubled but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness fear I don't want to have to learn the hard way. I'd sure rather learn from somebody who did learn the hard way. I don't want to have to go through the things Peter went through to learn these things. To have humility. To be diligent. To be bold. To not have carnal thinking. And to be prepared to give a defense of our faith. The question today is, are we going to have to learn the hard way? Or are we willing to learn from someone else who had to learn it the hard way? I don't know about you, but I don't want to have to do it the way Peter did. I'd far rather learn from him. Some of the great truths that Peter taught were things that he knew whereof he spoke because He had vividly had a first-hand learning experience. May we learn from Him who learned the hard way. Let's stand together, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed. We're going to give just a moment of invitation if God has spoken to your hearts. The altars are available to you. If you'd like to